Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Yeah, can uh, give it up again for our good friend Andy Kamizzi. And uh, Andy was in an earlier service, and here is the portrait right here that he painted for everybody to see. And uh, as our gift to you, when you leave here on this holy night, we have a copy of that as a print. We're going to give one to every family, so take that as our gift to you guys. And Merry Christmas to you. Merry, Merry Christmas to you. Yeah. I want to welcome you. We're so delighted that you guys are here, whether you're a regular, whether you're an attendee, whether you're a guest on this holy night, we're just honored to have you with us. Hey, I'm going to begin um, our time. I want to read a passage of scripture to you that comes from the mind and the heart and the experience of John the Beloved, John the Gospel writer, and he was referred to sometimes as Beloved because he was such a close friend with Jesus while Jesus walked on the face of the earth. And so I want to read to you um, his story, the story of Christmas according to John in the beginning of uh, his book, John chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first 14 verses. Listen up to this. This is God's word for us. He writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name also was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was now coming into the world. And he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, children born not of a human decision or of a husband's will, but children born of God. And the word, this word, became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. We like to say around here, this is the word of God for the people of God. And you respond, thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me? You know, Lord, I'm going to pray also, just like Pastor Trevor did, that you might give all of us a special sense of your presence tonight. This is 
not a night like any other night. This is a holy night. This is a special night. And we recognize, Lord, in this space together that Christians are gathering around the world and they will do so in this 24-hour period to celebrate the wonder and the majesty of what this night holds for us. And so God, would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit into every human being listening to the sound of my voice that you might quicken our hearts, that you might do something fresh and new on this special Christmas Eve, for we pray together in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Wow. So let me ask you a question. How many of y'all know what this is? It's a ladder. Very good. Um, How many of y'all have one of these in your home? How many of y'all have more than one in your home? Okay. I have uh, three ladders. And um, I will tell you this, um, interestingly, and this is not, I didn't even do this for a sermon illustration. Last weekend, my weekend project, we're cleaning out the garage, was to take two of the three ladders that I have and to hang two of them from the ceiling in the garage. No joke. And I thought that was pretty perfect timing since I'm going to talk about a ladder, but I was trying to clean some stuff out and make room for all of the new tools Beth's buying me for Christmas, (laughs) which she learned about earlier in the service when I said it for the first time, and it's too late for me, but anyhow. So yeah, this is a ladder, and uh, it might be the oldest tool that you have in your home. A ladder is a tool, by the way. But the only uh, thing that might be older as a tool that you have in your home might be, a, might, might, might be a knife or might be a hammer. There's arguments about that. But we know a ladder's been around a long time. In fact, um, there is a cave in Spain that some archaeologists were uh, exploring, and they found a painting, an etching of sorts, in this cave in Spain. And in that painting, there's a ladder. And they estimate that the ladder, or this painting, I should say, is over 10,000 years old. So we know that ladders have been around uh, a long time. They come in different sizes, right? I mean, some ladders can be as small as an inch or two. I remember our girls used to have these little play ladders that were in the toy box in their room. The longest ladder, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, you know what it is? 135 feet long has 120 rungs on it. That's a ladder, everybody. And uh, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, about a half million people around the globe every year get a visit to the ER (laughs) for a ladder-related injury. This, This ladder, this exact ladder, helped me get a new ACL in my left leg in 2018. And we have made up, but we have deep respect for one another <laughs> since that day. My favorite ladder story uh, of, my, of, 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 of me personally, I remember when uh, I was growing up, for a time we lived in Tampa, Florida. And uh, I remember that was such a fun neighborhood. It was, uh, there was a lake, and we used to go down and play at the lake. But the, the neighborhood itself was, was carved out of a big citrus grove. And so many of the homes in the neighborhood had fruit trees 
uh, in their yards. And in fact, we had nine citrus trees in our yard. I still remember it like it was yesterday. And they were my dad's pride and joy. He took really good care of those trees. And every year when the fruit would ripen, my dad would do this thing. He would, he would get the ladder out. He had this aluminum ladder. He would extend it all the way. And he would lay it up into the trees. And he would come and get me, the runt of the litter, the middle of three boys to climb up to the top of the ladder, pick all the fresh fruit uh, out of the tree and throw it down to my brother and throw it down to my dad. And when I was done, this is what I remember. My dad didn't even have me get out of, uh, get down from the ladder. He would straighten the ladder up and he would waddle it over to the next tree with me on the top of the ladder and he would dive it into the next tree, and we'd begin all again. I remember that was so fun when I was little, and when I got older, I realized how dangerous it was, and uh, I'm mostly over it. Therapies help me. It's all good, but anyhow, um, a ladder is a tool, but I think you'd agree with me that we uh, sometimes also use the image or the word ladder uh, as a metaphor to describe certain aspects of our life. We might talk about our kids climbing the ladder to the top of their class. Some of us talk about either ourselves or or someone else, you know, um, graduating from high school, uh, going to college or going to some trade school, learning some trade or some skill and beginning the career and climbing the ladder to what? Success, right. We might talk about our sports teams, Uh, ascending the ladder or descending the ladder in the standings every year. I don't know about you, my teams always descend better than they ascend up the ladder. Uh, I remember the first time as a young pastor in another church when I was serving, right at the very beginning of my ministry, and this man reached out to me, called me one week, hadn't been there too long, and he said, hey, do you have time to meet with me? It's, It's important. And it had a sense of urgency about it, and I met with him. And, and when I met with him, he had all of, all of the appearances of success. And uh, to be honest, as a young minister, I was kind of intimidated by him. And we had these three or four awkward moments of, of small talk, and then he sort of cleared all that off, and he said, I need to tell you why I asked you to meet with me. And he said, uh, um, I made a decision a while back that caused my family a lot of harm. And he said, my wife has stepped back from me. And then in a moment sort of, of uh, candor, in a moment of true vulnerability, it was the first time I ever heard someone say this. He said, all my adult life, I've been climbing the ladder of success. And I've finally come to the realization that all the ladders I've climbed are leaning on the wrong wall. And so sometimes um, we think of a ladder as a tool. Uh, Sometimes we think of a ladder as a metaphor to describe aspects uh, 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 of life. And I've even heard a ladder in the image of a ladder used to describe the way we connect with God. Um, If you think about it and you take all of the world's religions and you boil all of the world's religions down, Christianity included, we're all trying to figure out how to have this connection with God? How do we span the distance between a God in heaven and a humanity on earth? There's lots of ideas about that. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Most, most of the ideas, in fact, most religions, in fact, 
most religious philosophies suggest to us, here's how we connect with God. We, um, we start climbing a ladder. Uh, we start striving and working as hard as we can. Um, we try to be as good as we can. Um, we try to develop our mind as good as we can to somehow stretch and connect with this, with this God. And here's the idea. First of all, we're assuming, right, that God wants to connect with us. Because many of the world's religions describe this God as distant, as far, as busy, and he doesn't really have time to connect. And so we work as hard as we can. We strive as hard as we can to reach this God. And a lot of times, we get tired of striving. I know theologians who refer to what we're talking about right now. They actually call it a kind of works righteousness. I have a friend who calls it, yep, it's just a religious treadmill. And you strive all that you can to become good as you can. And here's what I think, too. In December, we do this even more, right? Because we're all working overtime, right? To stay off that naughty list. But here's the interesting thing. This is what makes Christianity so unique. And this is what makes Christmas so powerful. Because the essence of Christianity is not our striving. It's not all of the energy on us. It's not all of the effort on us. Christianity says at the base of its message that we have a God who in his sheer audacity, in his sheer love, in his sheer grace is willing to climb down a ladder for you and for me. This is the story of Christmas. Now here's what's interesting. The, the scripture that I just read to you just a few moments ago, um, this is John's story. This is actually, think with me about this, y'all. This is John's Christmas story. This is the Christmas story according to John the Beloved. And it's not like every other Christmas story, right? It doesn't have, you know, shepherds, and it doesn't have angels, and it doesn't have wise men. But here's what I want you to know. This is John's story of Christmas. And it's unlike any other story in all of religious literature, within the Bible or in any other religious literature around the world. It's different from everyone. Why? Because it's sort of setting up for us the story before the story. In fact, we would probably do best to think of John's Christmas story as the prequel to all the other Christmas stories. And John is trying to help us orient and understand some things so that we can figure out where we are and where we need to go. I shared with our congregation earlier this year, I think it was this year I told them, that I've come to understand and realize that we experience life as a story. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, life unfolds for us 
like a story. We don't experience life like a science project, amen? We don't experience life like a math problem, amen? <laughs> we experience life like a story because that's, that's how life unfolds to us. It unfolds to us like a story, scene by scene by scene. Right? We wake up every morning, we wonder what's going to happen. Sometimes it's a comedy. We wake up some morning and we wonder what's going to happen. Sometimes it's, it's a tragedy. We wake up in the morning and we wonder what's going to happen. Most of the time, it's a drama. We're just trying to figure it out. We're trying to orient ourselves to where we are. Here's the problem with that I've discovered, though. I told, I told our people. I said, the problem with that experience life as a story, is that a lot of times life feels like we've been dropped into the middle of a story and we can't figure it out. Amen? Right? We've got stuff that happened before us we don't know about. We got stuff that we're thinking about now that doesn't seem to make sense. We got stuff we're thinking about in the future we can't really orient and make make our, our, our way of understanding around it. And sometimes it just feels like, you know, we're locked in this story and some of the pages have fallen out of the book and we don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going. We don't know how to get to where we're supposed to be. And so this is where John really helps us because John tells the story in a way that helps us orient ourselves. This past fall, uh, my older brother's daughter got married, our niece. And uh, she was the last one in our family uh, to get married. We were super excited about it. She just uh, met and fell in love and with this wonderful young man. And they were going to get married. And, and my, my niece lives in Boston. And so I have to tell you all, I saw an opportunity because uh, my dad uh, is from the Boston area, from the New England area. And so I reached out to all of my immediate family, which is my wife, my uh, two daughters, and now my, my two sons-in-law. And we're on a text group together. I don't know if your family does it that way. We do it. We text each other. We're in a group. We call ourselves Team Amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I reached out to everybody and I said, hey, all of you have received the invitation. You know Hannah's going to get married but here's the thing, let's, let's take the whole week after uh, the wedding and I want to take everybody around in New England and I want to orient you to our family's story. And, I, and, I, and that's what we did. We took a week after the wedding and, I, and my dad was born in Framingham. We went to Framingham and we saw where my dad was born. Uh, we went to Swampscott and we saw where my dad lived and my grandparents lived. And then we, then we traveled up to New Hampshire and outside of uh, this, there's a little town in New Hampshire called Rye Beach, New Hampshire. And outside of that little town, there's this little place called Locks Neck. And a lot of my descendants are buried there. And so I took them and we went out to these cemeteries and I showed them, I've got a great, 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 great grandfather who dates back to 1621. No joke. And I took my whole family out to all these cemeteries and it was in that moment I learned that there was actually another text group that my family has that doesn't include me. <laughs> and, and I guess the guys were texting Everybody in the group going, is this what you guys do on your vacation? You just go to cemetery after cemetery after cemetery. But here's the thing. I, I was orienting my family 
to our story and to our past. And here's what I want you to know. This is John the Gospel writer orienting every single one of us to our past. And if we're going to understand all the conventional Christmas stories, we have to understand the prequel. And you know what the prequel tells us? That there is this God who never had a beginning. There is this God who never had an ending. There is this God who is full of grace and full of truth. And there is this God who is willing to come and descend down a ladder due to the sheer audacity and expanse of his love for humankind. This is the story of Christmas. It's a God who has broken into our world on a mission of rescue. Here's what I think. A lot of us think, and it feels especially, maybe we'd even want to say in these last three years, right? Life is weird. feels random and all of this. Here's what John would say. It's not random. Don't be mistaken. God is here. He has a purpose. You are here. You have a purpose. And he's here to rescue you from the dilemma of your circumstances. If we're going to understand Christmas right, here's what I want you to understand. It's a rescue story. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Um, it, it happened about a month ago. In, in fact, it happened the day before Thanksgiving. And because many of us in the room are Floridians, this sort of thing happens every now and again. We hear it in the news, and if we're not even careful, we can ignore it. But I don't know if you heard about this or, or uh, were aware of this, but apparently there was a guy who was on a cruise ship in the Gulf of Mexico that fell off the ship into the water. How many of y'all heard that story? It happened a month ago. He treaded water for some 21 hours, and they found him. He fell off a cruise ship 20 miles off the coast of Louisiana, and he treaded water, 70-degree water, for 21 hours. Here's what was funny when I read the story. This is when they were interviewing him later. They said, how did it happen? He goes, I have no idea how it happened. I literally have no idea it happened. how it happened. I left the bar at midnight. <laughs> when I read that, I went, I think I know what happened. But here's what I want to show you. This grainy picture. That's him doing this. Here's what I want to tell you. That's the posture of somebody who wants to be rescued. Here's what I want you to know. You know, those who need to be rescued, they know how to assume the position, right? I mean, they know. They know. There's no shame in that. One of the joys and delights of my life as a pastor all these years is I get to see God do rescues all the time. I've seen God, you know, and some, some, some rescues are, I mean, they're, they're sensational like this one. I mean, 21 hours in the water, found him in the middle of the night. That brother was like, get me out of the water. 
right? Some, some are sensational. I, I've seen God, through the power of the risen Christ, break in to an addiction and pull a rescue and bring sanity and wholeness and healing. I, I, I've seen God work in a, in a relationship and mend a broken relationship between a mom and a dad and a child or a husband and a wife. I, I, I've seen God bring courage where there's fear. I've seen God bring joy where there's mourning. I, I've seen God bring hope where there's despair. But I got to tell you, it's true every single time. The persons who've experienced that, they know they need to be rescued and they know how to assume the position. Here's what I want to tell everybody in the room tonight. If we think about John's story and we just leave it there, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go home tonight and this is going to be just a story. Now, it's a good story, but it'll remain a story. But I want to remind you before you go tonight, the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming to earth was never meant to just be a story. It's meant to be your story and my story if you let him. You know, all month long, we've been uh, talking about all of these values that Jesus has taught us. We, we lit a candle to communicate the idea of hope. Jesus is the hope of, the, of all the earth. We, we lit a candle to commemorate the idea of, of um, peace, that Jesus provides a peace that passes understanding. We lit a candle to commemorate the idea of joy, that we can find in Christ joy instead of despair. And last weekend, we lit a candle to commemorate the value and the idea of love, that God's love for the world and for you, for you, for you, is unconditional and without end. And our prayer at Community of Hope is that you will let this year this Christ rescue you from whatever it is you bring into this space. Lord Jesus Christ, I want to pray in this moment for all of my friends and for all who are listening in this space. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, your story is not just a story. It's a rescue mission. And Lord, I'm so thankful that as you've rescued before, you're rescuing now and you want to rescue in the future. And, and so God, I pray that as we come to this point in this service where we participate and we light a candle and we do all these things that we do on this holy night, that we might use some space in the room tonight to make our peace with you. If we have left you behind, that tonight we would say, God, I just need to come home. If we've never invited you in, we would say, Lord, tonight, 
this is the night I need to actually relinquish the control I have on my life and let you begin to lead me where you will. And that God, would you do what only you can do in this space to bring your rescue mission into this room and into our hearts. For we pray together in the strong and mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. So we're gonna light a candle to commemorate the idea that all that we've talked about tonight finds its truest meaning in Jesus Christ. So the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those who live in the shadow of death, a light has now dawned. In, the, in Christ was this life. And this life is the light of all humankind. And this is the light that has shown itself in the darkness. And the darkness has not, nor will it ever overcome it. And so as you extinguish your candles in this space, I pray that you would resolve in your heart to go in the light of Christ, that you would choose to live in his light, that you would choose to live in his grace, that you would choose to live in his forgiveness, and that you would resolve to be a light in the darkness everywhere you go so that all that see you may see him and all of those who see him may come to know him and those who come to know him may come to worship him this Jesus the light amen and amen Merry Christmas go in his peace